We are back. Texans All Access, five nights a week, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock right here on Sports Radio 610, Houston Sports Leader. I'm Mark Vandermeer welcoming you to the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio with John Harris as we kick off Season 8 of Texans Radio as we've known it since 2012. Here we go, another year. And since the Super Bowl's in the books, we can say it's 2019, Johnny. It is. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. I mean, we're on to February, but happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, you're right. That's that's the way you have to think. Like, when you're a teacher, mm-hmm. you think from August <laughs> to, to early June. That's how you – that's your year. Yeah. You know, when you think about – as an accountant, you might have different years depending on your business. Fiscal. And when you're talking about football, your football year begins in February. Now, the league year, the league year starts. That's when it starts getting interesting. In March with free agency, oh, and it's closer it's to mid-March than ever before. It used to be so early, and now everything's pushed back. Well, remember there was one year, there was one year uh, last year, the year before, where the combine and the new league year were very, very close. Oh yeah, too close. I, was I, it last year? I, I think. think it was. I think it was last year. I think there's a little space in between this year that I uh, oh, just think space. off the top of my head. But there's space. But I think it's but I think it's spaced out pretty well. You've got the combine coming up at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the end of the, the end of the league year, beginning of the new year. So obviously that means free agency. Yep. And then a few weeks after that, you got the schedule release, and you got the draft. And then you've got OTAs and mini camps, and away you go. It's it's sort of spaced out a little bit. I mean, we like it condensed. We like, you know, end of week game, end of week game. We like that kind of routine. Yeah, it stretches things out a little bit, gives everybody a little chance to rest and recover and all that kind of stuff. But I sort of like it. I sort of like it. Combine, and then you've got the free agency period. Then you got the uh, the draft, OTAs, and it just moves on. All right, so the Combine is February 26th. Yep. That's uh, Tuesday. We'll be on the air Wednesday night from the Combine. That's when it really gets going. Yep. And we'll have Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday shows there. Now, the tampering, it's not officially called that, but that's what people oh, call yeah, it. Oh, that's right. The tampering period when you can start to negotiate with free agents is March 11th. That goes to the 13th. And the 13th, 4 o'clock Thursday afternoon, 4 o'clock Eastern, so 3 Central that's when free agency starts, but you're already going to know where some of the big names are going based on information that leaks out prior to that. I wonder if the NFL has ever thought, I wonder if the, the team personnel has ever thought about wanting to move up the end of the league year. The such end that, of it. The, or, well, the beginning, end, beginning, whatever, before the combine. So yeah, that so teams you know would end you... up going to the combine knowing, okay, well, we just picked up this guy in free agency, we just picked up this guy in free agency. It sort of changes. The model, if you will. What about the draft before free agency? Remember, that happened Ooh. during the lockout year, and it yeah. was pretty interesting because Very you had no idea what you were going to get in free agency, and you had to draft for need maybe more than you would normally. It just it feels like one should be before the other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? One should be before the other. I don't yeah. know which, but it, it just feels like you, you kind of have them interspersed the way they are now that you go to the combine, you do all these interviews, and I know not you don't draft everybody you have an interview with, but at the combine, you start narrowing it down. Yeah. You start, these are the guys that we need to focus yeah. on, and then all of a sudden, a week later, you go into free agency, and you're like, now, if most, most teams do it right, as the Texans have done and other teams have done, they'll know in free agency who they're going to go mm-hmm. after. It doesn't guarantee they're going to get those players. So 
there might be in some sense, hey, we're going to look at these guys in free agency, so maybe we don't interview with these particular players. Now, you still have an opportunity to bring them to your campus, if you will, but I think it would it would be interesting if the league year took place, like move the combine back a little bit. Uh, look, I'd love it to start now. And I, just, let, I just want yeah. the action. Yeah. And I want to know who's on the team, you know, because how are the Texans going to do in 2019? Look, I, I know who the quarterback is. I know certain things about this football team. Don't get me wrong. But I do want to know who they're going to pick up in free agency. Absolutely. I do want to know who they're going to draft, how they're going to factor in. And there's plenty of stuff to talk about with that. In fact, they'll make announcements official this week. You've read reports about Tim Kelly becoming the offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien has not commented on this, but he's bound to say something, or the organization will say something this week about these stories and I think it's somebody who, Johnny, they really like an awful lot. It's hard to evaluate from afar or even from where we sit right here because you don't know how it's going to go. But he likes them a lot. He feels great about his offensive brain. You can pretty much assume that if he's going to give him this position and this title, yep. too, because he just doesn't hand out that title so easily. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm curious to see how... If that's indeed the case. Nothing's right. official. No doubt. And I, I'm curious to see how it's all structured. And what I mean by that is... If if Tim does become the offensive coordinator, does he have a position? Does he stay with the tight ends? Does he, uh, with Sean Ryan off to Detroit, does he become the quarterbacks coach? Do they bring in somebody? Well, Will to handle Long the quarterbacks? reportedly to become tight ends coach, right? So, and who's Will Long? You ask. Well, remember the name Matt Lafleur, who's now the head coach of the Green mm-hmm. Bay Packers. He was Will Lawing once upon a time. Right. You know, offensive assistant, quality control type guy, does a lot. Bill O'Brien's talked about Will a Absolutely. lot during the show here, and he's reportedly set to become tight ends coach. One of the things that stand out about those two is they, they came in as offensive and defensive assistants. Will Long started on the defensive side because wherever Vrabel went, Lawing went. Okay. Like, it was like uh, almost mini-me. I mean, wherever Vrabel was gone, I mean, Will was with him. And I think along the way, that, that offensive-defensive system position can be sort of an internship to a position job. So I think Will looked at it and said, look, I want to get as much experience. And so they moved him over to the offensive side. He's been working with Mike Devlin. He's worked at the tight ends at some point. So Will kind of got an understanding of the offensive line, started getting, uh, understanding the offensive side because he worked for the first few years on the defense. The one thing about those guys, man, the, the grind never stopped for them. I mean, they were always – Always, and I mean, I hate that word grinding, but it's it's pretty. It's kind of the work you have to do. It they, is a grind. They were in. Those guys are in when some of the coaches are not in. Right. Okay. And the coaches are in all Absolutely. the time. It seems. Yeah. But there are certain situations where those guys would be here. I think they work more hours than your average offensive or defense, whatever average assistant coaches do in the building. I could be wrong about that, but that's something we can ask Bill O'Brien about. But to that point, how is it structured? Meaning. And maybe they won't know this, and maybe this changes. And, and having been with the Texans, you've seen this structured in different ways, Mark, from the beginning. Yeah. And I, the one I, I always remember is when Gary Kubiak named Kyle Shanahan his offensive coordinator. He still called the plays. Right, he did. And then it, then there were times where he let Kyle call some of the plays, Yeah. and then Gary at some point would take over during a game. And I heard the story, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that Kyle finally sh- said to Gary, look, Either I do them all or I don't do it at all. Like, one or the yeah. other. Gary or I'm going to go relented. with my father to Washington. <laughs> right. 
and he let Kyle do it. And I think in 2009, they ended up having one of the top offenses, if not, if not the top offense in the league. Top passer in the league. Yeah. Matt Schaub had more passing yards than anybody else in the NFL in 2009. Wow, that's a, that's 10 years ago, Johnny. I know. It feels like two weeks I, ago, but it's 10 years I ago. I know. And the thing about it is you can have an offensive coordinator. Head coach can still call the plays. And if you're wondering, has it ever happened? Well, yeah, I just mentioned it. it happened here. Kyle Shanahan and Gary Kubiak. Now, well, look, Matt LaFleur, we just mentioned him. When he was with McVay with the Rams yeah. two years ago, he didn't call the plays. Very, and exactly. he got an OC job with the Tennessee Titans. Now he's a head coach. So two years after being an offensive coordinator, right. not calling the plays with the Rams, and maybe because he knows Sean McVay, which comes in <laughs> handy in your job interview, now he's a head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And you know I love Matt. Like I said, yeah, he was yeah. here. Uh, and by the way, side note. The Texans are the cradle of coaches in the NFL. The Texans are the Miami of Ohio of the National Football League because they have four, count them, four former assistant coaches that are head coaches in this league. Can you name them? We Le- just said LaFleur. LaFleur. Mm-hmm. Vrabel. Vrabel. Keep going. Uh, Kyle Shanahan. We just mentioned him. And there's another one. Vic Fangio. Oh, that's right. Former defensive coordinator. That predates me. This is the cradle of coaches, Johnny. Prior to 2007, I'm a little little fuzzy on some of that prior to 2007. But, but yeah, and and so I think – and, and this is this is always one of the things that I, I think gets interesting, and it kind of goes on my, my rant about the depth chart. A particular position doesn't always mean what you think it means. And what I mean by that is when you see – when you see Jadeveon Clowney's position of defensive end or outside linebacker, or outside linebacker it doesn't really mean everything. Yeah. Just like general manager, just like um, offensive line coach, just like yeah. offensive coordinator. Well, what does offensive assistant mean? Right, what does offensive Coffee assistant Coffee getter mean? or guy who really contributes to the game plan? Absolutely. So, so they can a all A big have, area between those two. And they're, they're going to be, throughout time, they're going to be, like up in, up in New England, who's the general manager of the New England Patriots? Yeah, Bill Belichick right. is everything. Exactly. Except owner. Exactly. You know so it can it can vary, it can change. So just because Tim Kelly has the offensive coordinator designation, if that is indeed true, and hopefully because we've heard it all throughout the week, we imagine it to be true, it doesn't mean he's going to call plays. It doesn't mean that he won't call plays. It's just how it's going to be structured. I know that Rico, Rick Dennison, did that for Gary Kubiak, I think in 13. Yeah, he was another guy who didn't yeah. really call plays. Didn't call the plays. So people will say, well, wait a second, why would you have an offensive coordinator, but then the head coach calls the plays? Mm-hmm. And the game, Reed does that in, in Kansas City with Eric Bieniemy. That offensive coordinator is there to structure the game plan, to do all the things that the head coach doesn't really have time to do, but comes up with the game plan, watches all the film. And obviously, Bill watches a ton of film, so that's, that's never a worry. But he'll watch all the film. He'll make sure he's got the game plan ready to go, tighten down. These are the plays that we want to go. He's, he's handling all the position coaches, making sure that they're on board with it. And then game day, the head coach is going to call the plays. Now, we've seen in Texans history, we've seen where that's evolved, where the head coach, Gary Kubiak, gave those play-calling responsibilities to Kyle Shanahan yeah, at some point. Yeah, but I point. still think he took the wheel. No, I, key times. I, I think so, too. Bill O'Brien gave that to George Godsey. Mm-hmm. Last couple of years, Bill O'Brien's had it. Now, we'll see how it's going to be going forward, whether Tim is going to end up calling the plays or not. But to that end, I, I, I don't know. I think people get way out of whack. Like, who's calling the plays, who's not? I just think you execute what you yes. what you need to Thank do. You. I, I, I don't care who calls them. Just execute what you have to do, and you'll be fine. I think with Watson, O'Brien's offense has – we've seen it explode at times. Yeah. I know we've seen it struggle at times too, but look at this. You just 
put up an outstanding season of numbers relative to what you had the previous few years and that your best offensive season passing since 2012 when with a loaded team in yeah. so many different phases. So I think that the future is extremely encouraging here. If he feels like he wants to add to the offensive coaching mindset, to the, to the brain trust, if you will, great. You know, if he wants to get another contributor, great. And I know that people have reacted in different ways. Well, how do we know what he's going to do? You just don't know. Okay? Yeah, no you just idea. don't know. These are one of those uh, – this is one of those situations mm-hmm. where you're just going to have to let it play out. And it doesn't mean it can't work. doesn't mean it will work. You just have to let it go. Well, I think to that end, when Sean McVay took over in L.A., what was everybody thinking? This guy? Yeah, this guy. This 31-year-old is going to come in and – really? This guy? Right. And now it's like – now it's not only if you've worked for him, but if you know him. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you know him, <laughs> exactly. you are qualified <laughs> – Boy, I should have shaken his hand at the shaking his hand at the owners' meeting last year. I would have been an NFL head coaching candidate now. That would have been awesome. You know, I could say I know Sean McVay, and you know, we actually had dinner one night, like two tables over from him. I don't know. I should have done it. I should have done it. I could have said Just I know Sean. Close. I know. Hey, I know Matt Lafleur. Does that? Like get me into the tree? No, it's well, one of the branches of. It's just <laughs> interesting that Sean McVay is. I thought one of the, the one of the most interesting things going to the Super Bowl because you dig up everything was that McVay actually played Julian. Their schools played each other in college. Edelman right. was the quarterback at Kent State in 2007, and McVay was a wide receiver for Miami of Ohio in yeah. 2007. They played against one another, and there's McVay coaching against Edelman, who, by the way, was fantastic. Hey, we'll they talk had about some that. action, okay? Some Mid American Conference mm-hmm. action between the two. I was listening today. I was listening today. Uh, I was. I was flipping around the stations during a commercial, and I flipped it over to NFL Radio because I have it in my wife's car. And they had Bill Belichick's live press conference. Now, they cut it off at some point, which I was a little disappointed with. But he was asked a question about Julian Edelman. And, you know, Belichick, there's certain things that Belichick can be effusive about. Like, if you ask him about the Microsoft Surface tablets and the history of drills. Oh, he'll go on forever. (laughs) You start asking him about who's injured, and you'll, you'll get, well, wait for the injury report. He was asked about Julian Edelman, and he actually, I thought this was fascinating. He, st- he kind of started to talk, and then he stopped, and he kept going. He goes, look, i got to be honest. i got to give a lot of credit to Rick Goslin at Dallas Morning News. He was the guy who really kind of turned me on. He's doing a lot of draft stuff, and he said, hey, you might like this guy, Julian Edelman. He goes, I don't think he's a quarterback, but you might do something with him. Rick Goslin was the guy who said he's a writer for the Dallas right. Morning News and follows the draft more. I mean, he's, and Bill O'Brien he's was phenomenal. one of the first evaluators of Julian Edelman for the Patriots organization. We have not acknowledged what went down last night with the what was it thirteen to three, right? Thirteen Thir- to three, thirteen Low to three final score, Super Bowl of all time, and, and that's incredible. You know, like wait a minute, that Garo Upremian game that was uh, that was more points than this, really. Mm-hmm. The Ice Bowl, that wasn't a Super Bowl. Uh, that was an NFL championship game. But you get my drift here. You have to go way back, and you can't find one that's lower scoring than this. Now, I will say this. Yeah, from an offensive fireworks standpoint, it was a boring game. But And I'm not that old. Maybe I am. But I remember these 80s blowouts so mm-hmm. well. I remember the early 90s blowouts so well. I don't want to see that. I'd rather see what I saw last night where I'm trying to figure out why can't these offenses move the football tonight? 
at least the game was in doubt going into the fourth quarter. One play is going to change everything. It was just one of those games. And, you know, the Rams had a stinker night on offense, and the Patriots basically did too until they went to that double tight end thing and they yep. spread everybody out. You could talk about that. Yep. But to me, I, I'm not saying it was edge-of-your-seat thriller exciting, but it was much more exciting than what I used to see when I got all those blowouts because, Johnny, there was a time where we were begging for a oh. close game in the Super Bowl and could not get it. The one outlier was the uh, Montana to John Taylor, the second matchup between one, the yeah. Niners and the Bengals. That was a real good close game. But everything else felt Buffalo like Buffalo Giants wide right. That was it. Oh, that, that, but that, that was, was a good one, too. That was a good one, too. But, like, those two were, like, the uh, little slices of meat mm-hmm. in a giant carb sandwich of bloated, inflated scores Nothing. that were horrible and I'd rather have what I saw last night. Not that I want that on a regular basis. Don't get me wrong. I'm with you. I, it's funny because my wife made some comments. She's like, the Super Bowl is always a blowout. I was like, I think my wife is remembering those 80s, 90s games. Yep. Because recently, they've been really good ball games. Unbelievably. The Seahawks-Patriots game was yep. Phenomenal! Like every game with the Patriots has been close, it's been great. and that was their yeah. that was their biggest <laughs> margin points. of victory. <laughs> Ten points. There were a couple things that stood out. There was one thing that I noticed, and I'll get to my beef with Tony Romo in a second. I was a little surprised that he didn't notice this, but I noticed that in the second half in particular. Now we talk with Bill O'Brien about this a lot, and I figured, I figured going the second half that this was the case. I knew that Jared Goff had probably been struggling. Because in the second half in particular, if you go back and watch, the Rams, he doesn't, Goff doesn't even get in the huddle, but he does it consistently. He doesn't get in the huddle until 14 seconds are on the play clock. Because he's getting coached? Yes. He's getting McVay in his ear up Mm. into 15 seconds. So you would see Goff stand outside the huddle, they're waiting to huddle, and then at 14, he would go in the huddle, get the play, and they would go to the line. Now... I think there were a couple things with that. I think they didn't want to give the Patriots time to change plays. Yeah. And then I read today where the Patriots kind of knew that was the case with McVay, so they were they were very good with their disguises. They wanted to make sure that they disguised things even more because they knew that McVay would be in his ear. But then McVay, they took the stance of, hey, I'm going to talk to you all the way to 15 seconds, cuts off, then you go ahead in the huddle. And if you go back and watch the game, you'll see it. You'll see the Rams drives. You'll see him standing around the huddle, and then at about 14 seconds, he gets in the huddle and call the plays. Because there were times where I'm like, "Let's go, guys, let's go." Yeah. And then I noticed he's. And then I looked at the play clock, and I was like, 15 seconds is the cutoff." And knowing how much that McVay talks to him, yeah, I knew what they were doing. And so I thought, okay, are they trying to throw the Patriots off a little bit? I just felt like that's too much. And I don't know. Too maybe. much talking to Goff, not allowing him yeah. to get into a rhythm. Right. Everything's choppy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I thought that was a that was a big that was a big thing. Now, to my beef with Romo, first of all, he didn't he didn't notice that. And I thought that would have been a pretty interesting thing for viewers to even just say, Hey, look, the Rams just to even mention that. So he didn't mention that. Here's the other thing. Every time that the Patriot the Patriots defense was unbelievable. Eight straight punts? Yes. Eight straight punts. Against that offense. I, I Against mean, boy genius coach. How many pro bowlers are on that, that New England defense? Gilmore? And that's it. <laughs> Hightower. I mean, Hightower probably should be. But, you know, Van Oy no, was excellent. No, it's I not. Mean, yeah, Van. I mean, they go from Ninkovich to Van Noy, and it's like they're the same guy. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. And I love Van Oy coming out. I, I hate them. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh. But here's the other thing. Yeah. 
every time that the Patriots' defense was brought up, yeah. you know who was never talked about? You know who Romo never said at any one point about? Danny was Shelton? Brian Flores, the defense. He's not the oh. defensive coordinator. He's the play caller. Yeah. And, I, and I bring this up because... Dolphins were happy last night, maybe. I, not that the Patriots won, but that they're getting Flores after that performance. Right. Because you and I both know, mm-hmm. because we've had discussions how this thing works. And I knew in 2009 because I, you know, Bill was with the Patriots. Bill was not the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, but he called every play. He didn't have the offensive coordinator title, but he was the play caller. And I asked Bill, I said, at the time, I asked him, how does that work? And he said, look, during the week, Bill puts up what he thinks are the keys to the game. He talks about it, and then we go off and put the game plan together, and I call it, and he stays away from me on game yeah. day and lets me, you know, he'll come in and suggest some certain things. But I guarantee you that's how it works for Brian Flores, too. And it's worked for every coordinator. And I bet Romeo would tell you the same thing that during the week, there are things that I'm sure that Bill wanted to see. These are the things that he thought were the keys to the game. And then Brian and his defensive staff, Brian Flores, were going to go and execute that. Yep. And they did. And it's funny because the NFL writers that wrote about it after the game, Bucky Brooks mentioned it, Charles Robson wrote about it, Albert, uh, Albert Breer wrote about it. They all wrote about it. Romo didn't talk about it. Romo mentioned Belichick all night. He's like, yeah. Belichick's been waiting to use that blitz. Yet, when they talked to the players afterwards, they were like, Brian Flores was sitting on that blitz for a while. It was Ooh. it was Flores who yeah. was the one. He's calling those things. So Bel- He's calling give those. give Belichick credit because he oversees everything. Absolutely, but that's fine. But with Flores making those timely calls, you have to give him credit if you're the announcer in it- a Super Bowl broadcast. Now, the, I thought they not mocked the low-scoring element and nature of the game. I think you have to address it for sure. Yeah. But at times I was like, guys, it's the Super Bowl, all right? I know. And it's all, they came out of a break once. It was in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was the fourth quarter start. And, you know, I'm again, I apologize. I'm watching the Super Bowl. People are around. Yeah, yeah. I always try to sequester myself as much as possible. It never works out. I got kids. I got, fa- I got people around, and I can't fully focus. But they came out of a break once, and they said, hey, it's the Super Bowl, and it's a tie game. Oh, it was 3-3, I guess, yeah, in the fourth yeah. quarter. Yeah. And, and they kind of reset themselves. I almost felt like they got a memo through their ears saying, hey, guys, come on. It's the Super Bowl. Let's go. Well, I think at one point Romo made a comment about people turning off the Super Bowl. Like, I want to say that at some point. Who would t- like we just said I, earlier, it's I, a 3-3 game. I know it stinks as far as offensive showcase, but it's a close game. I know. I, I'm with you. I, I just – I'm playing a game of telephone on that one because I saw that mm. somewhere. I didn't exactly hear that, but I got that vibe. I got that vibe. That because it wasn't 54-51 yeah. Rams-Chiefs that... I love how people complain about that. People complain about this. People just love to complain. We you, should not be surprised about complaints. You know it would be interesting to talk to you about this? What? Tyron Matthew. And the reason I bring that up is mm-hmm. when he was at, uh, at LSU, they played that one-versus-two matchup in 2011. That was 9-6. Oh. to six. Remember that? It was yeah, not yeah, a yeah, field yeah. goals. Yeah. But I guarantee you that was one of the... I mean, I loved it because it was player? hard-hitting and physical and everything that went with that game. That was what last night was. It was a chess match. So he might have said something. We have to, we have to find this out. Like, so, I, I don't want people thinking that he's pushing people to watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel right. instead of the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. But I think he was probably – listen, if you're Tony Romo and you think about it, you never made a Super Bowl as a player. I mean, how geeked are you to be calling that game? I mean, think yeah. about how – well, no, it's huge. I mean, it's, coming off it's the amazing. AFC cha- now, his AFC Championship game performance was, was legendary. And look, I'm not saying that he was not – I mean, I thought he was. I thought he was good. I just had a. I had it stuck in my craw about that because 
to me, going in, if I'm an analyst of the game, um, and I don't even know who to give credit to. Look, if you want to give credit to Bill Belichick, as you said, for the overarching, wow, the plans that they put together on offense and defense, that's fine. As a buddy of mine said, which I thought was interesting, uh, he said, McVay's not going to get any credit for how the Rams' defense played. Yeah. Because he – that's right. Wade's. That's it's that's Wade's. Wade's deal. Right. You know, and Belichick's the head coach. But you can bet that McVeigh has an opinion on how things should go or could go. And in the fourth quarter, when the Patriots' offense got it together, who's going to get the credit for that? Belichick, no. But McDaniel's was getting the credit. Like Romo was talking about McDaniel's. But it's like, why would you not give Brian Flores any of that? Credit? I just thought that was a little. I, I I thought it was not disingenuous. I just thought it was it was an error. It was a mistake. It's funny. Yeah, Flores. With the masterpiece called last night, yeah. McDaniels gets the credit for the adjustment that got them the touchdown drive, right. and that is really interesting. Now, I thought about this. Remember I told you Charlie Casserly once said there's nothing worse than losing the Super Bowl, which I, I've never been there. I mean, I've been there, but I've never been there with the Houston Texans. Not that I'd like to try, but I'd rather lose there than lose in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'll deal with it. Yeah. I, I just want to go. You know, I want to go. I want to experience it. I think losing a championship game would actually be worse than losing the Super Bowl because at least you went to the Super Bowl. You were yeah. a participant in the Super Bowl. But it doesn't make the Rams feel any better today. It's got a s- just smart, smart. Why am I using a 1950s word Sting. for pain? Yeah. Sting. It's got a suck. It hurts. Okay, that'll be more of a 90s word. There we go. I mean, because, you know, going to this game – yeah, after what Sean McVay had done with the Rams and what they had done against New Orleans. Look, I mean, guy, like you mentioned it throughout the show. There have been coaches connected to Sean McVay that have gotten head coaching jobs that, I don't know, maybe they jumped the line a little bit because they were in the McVay system along with Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Sean, Sean McVay was maybe not the toast of the town, but when you're one of the final two coaches heading the Super Bowl week and you got two weeks to talk about it, you're, you're going to be thought of very, very highly. Yep. Fast forward to today, Sean McVay didn't do anything right. He even said after the game, he was as honest as I've ever seen any coach. He was like, I was clearly outcoached. Well, I, I, was I agree. clearly outcoached. I agree. And, and look, he's a hell of a coach, and, and uh, the Rams are obviously lucky to have him. He's tremendous. He's done really well his first couple of years. He's got to a Super Bowl in his second year, went, made the playoffs his first year. Jared Goff looks pretty good, but... You know, maybe there's some doubt about him. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, that was not a great performance at all. I know he was under pressure, under duress. He'll probably do better next time. Uh, who knows what Sean McVay is privately thinking about his quarterback. But, I mean, obviously, tremendous first two years for him. It was just shocking to see him held to three. And here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. I'm Wade Phillips. So, the Oracle, he visits with the Oracle before the game. The Oracle says, all right. The Patriots will get 13 points. Will you take that? I mean, you'll take it every single day of the oh, year and twice, on, whatever. I mean, you would take – what? What? give me a number that he would happily take. 21? Sure, I'll take 21. Yeah. They get 21 on me. 21 – what do we always say when you play the Patriots? 21 to 24. you got to score yep. minimum 28 to 30. At a minimum. To, yep. to beat them. You just have to count on it, especially at their place, no doubt. But anytime, it's the freaking Patriots. So, to me – I, I thought it was a tremendous defensive performance by the Rams. Now, I know they gave up that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter that proved to be decisive, but the Rams came down the field and Goff throws the pick. Under pressure, back foot, whatever you want to call it, he should have thrown it away. It was second and ten, Johnny. That's what killed me about that. It wasn't fourth and ten, and i got to do something here. It was second and ten. got to figure something better to do with the ball. No doubt. It was a great call by Flores, and essentially it was, I think it's, I, I saw it, 
some people call it a trailer blitz, and that, that makes some sense. Basically, it's two defensive backs that are coming, and the second one trails the first one. So it's like a screen in basketball. The first, the first defensive back blitzer is going to get the running back, and so you essentially take the running back out of the play. It's and like the a lead blocker. One, right, then the second one trails behind, yeah. and he's the one that got in Goff's face, and then Goff didn't step into his throw. He short-stepped it. and uh, Stephon Gilmore said after the game, he's like, he's throwing this right now to me? Like, yeah. all right, I just got to go up and get if it. He puts a, if he's able to put four or five more yards on it, Gilmore's probably there. Yeah. But it's a uh, contested catch. I mean, attempted catch, I should Cooks say. Cooks has an opportunity at that point. Now, yeah. Cooks should have caught the one thrown to him the play prior. Mm. And, you know, the, and, he, and he missed Cooks in the end zone wide open when the Patriots did blow coverage. That's the thing. You got to take advantage. Thing. When they screw up, you got to take advantage. And if you don't, you're dead because they're not going to do it more often than once. And when you <laughs> screw up, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I, Johnny, looking at the Patriots this year, and I know we're kind of all over the place, I find it – we should never find it hard to believe when they're able to win the championship. But this year, it looked a little shaky at times mm-hmm. for them. You know, oh, yeah. it, it really did. And the fact that they were able to rise up and do it – you know, Brady – to me, he doesn't throw the ball. The ball doesn't look as pretty coming out as it ever has, but he's just so smart. He knows what to do with it. I mean, look at their offensive talent. Seriously. I know Gronk is Gronk, but he's not Gronk right now with that injury. No. Just doesn't look like himself. You put any other quarterback in there, well, almost any other quarterback in there, it's not going to be as good. He's just the mastermind. Gronk became Gronk when he needed it. It was almost yeah. – It was all, I mean – A few catches – you know how that kind of goes when you play, you know, YMCA basketball, and there's kind of the little bit of that older guy over in the corner. It's like you look at him and you, you're like, hey, I think he can play. Yeah. And then you kind of line in the weeds a little bit, and then the game gets late, and it's like, all right, he's going to pick up. A couple big rebounds, big putbacks. Come and that, on, let's go. And, that, and that's really what Gronk did. Yep, you know, he really he did. was not fully healthy throughout the year. I, I thought about this. Before the game, they were I, there, was a, there was a highlight show called Road to the Super Bowl, which I thought was very, very good. And – they were showing highlights of the Ravens Chiefs game, and I've got. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. And on a fourth and nine play, Mahomes is like scrambling to get away from like Zadarius Smith and and Sizzle, and he's trying to get away from both of them, and he throws the ball back across his body on fourth and nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tyreek goes and catches the ball. Mm-hmm. They're able to tie it and go in the game in overtime. Well, I thought about this. Wait a second. What if he doesn't make that throw? And that's a that's a Mahomes special. I mean, that's yeah. a big. If he doesn't make that throw, then the Chiefs are eleven and five. Okay, so then the Chargers win a division, right? Then that changes things. So what if the Chargers had lost another game all along the lines? Well, the Chiefs would have been eleven and five. The Patriots would have been eleven and five. The Texans would have been eleven and five, and the Texans would have gotten in the the Texans the Patriots would have gotten the two bye positions, right? So that changes things. If Mahomes doesn't complete that pass, it changes things. If somehow they get a stop, the Texans get a stop against the Eagles, that changes That's things the because one. now the Patriots have got to go on the road. And I don't know that the Patriots, constructed as they were, were going to win at home and then go win on the road twice yeah, and then win the, the Super the, Bowl. The bye got them They've well. never done that. The bye got them well. That, and yeah, You're right. The, that bye stop, is so important, man. As far as the Texans go, a stop against Philadelphia is really what separates you. Now, I'll, how about this one? How about a stop against the Colts, the regular season one here, yeah. when you lose 24-21? How about getting a stop there and you get the ball back? Now, a lot of different things have to happen, but they were getting the offense going in the second half. Mm-hmm. 
and we haven't even addressed the playoff game. You know, obviously we were on the air after the playoffs, but I look back on that as just such a bad day. And and it was interesting to see the Rams have a bad day on offense, and I'm thinking, they're having a bad day. We had a bad day, too, here at NRG Stadium. And, you know, it doesn't excuse anything. No. You pick the worst time ever to have a bad day in the postseason. When you do, it obviously kills you, and it's going to leave a horrible taste in your mouth. So I have a theory. What and look, that? this is this is not to excuse anything mm-hmm. uh, whatsoever. But I was at the Senior Bowl, and I ended up watching some O-line, D-line stuff, some inside drill stuff, and Chris Ballard was there. And so, you know, I've known Chris, you know, our buddy Lance Erlon, we've you know, he's known Chris for a long time. And I, I met Chris back in 1993, long story. So we've known each other for a while. So we watched we watched practice, and in between plays, we would talk about the AFC South. We would talk about different things. And so I, I asked him a little bit about that game for the Colts in Kansas City. He's like, oh, you know, Johnny, we just, you know, we just ran out of gas. And I got to thinking about that, what he said. And it really wasn't an excuse, really, the way that he said it. But I got to thinking about that because the one, what's the one – What's the one common thread between both the Texans and the Colts, especially from game four This on? year? Well, they came back from big deficits right. in the record column. And there was, column. No margin, there was no margin for error. No margin for error. There was none. And so yeah. every single game, there was not – look at the Patriots. The Patriots blew that one in Miami and lost to Pittsburgh the next week. And they're like, eh, we just beat the Bills and, Texas, or the, uh, Bills and the Jets and we're fine. And they were. There's a margin for error built in. For them in the AFC East, I'll give them that much. Right. But there was no margin for error for the Texans after going zero and three, none. I mean, especially none. the way the Colts started to play, right? And then the Colts knew, hey, one and five, they're just at one and five. They're just playing to like, they're get better. They're just playing to get better, right? And then all of a sudden they start stacking a few wins, and now they're in this thing. But from that point forward, it was playoff football. From the time, not even before the time they played us, but you think about the games the Colts played. They played us and beat us. Then the next week, they're trailing the Giants. Yep. They come back and win that game. They were trailing the Dolphins by 10. They come back to win that game. They played at that kind of playoff level at for a long period of time, and then at some point, it's going to bottom out. You're just going to run out of gas. And I tend to think that's what happened to the Texans. They played 12 games or more mm. That were just you want to get back in this thing, you and the Texans were always thinking about the playoffs, even at zero and three. Nobody else was, but I know they were because that was a group that thought they should go there. I think they just eventually because I watching that game back and watching them again, it wasn't as if they didn't have energy. It wasn't as if the crowd wasn't into it. I just think they honestly ran out of gas on that day. DeAndre's banged up, and that that slowed the offense down. Single biggest factor to me. I just think they ran out of gas. Come up with one thing. It was DeAndre Hopkins that was huge. unable to move the way he normally moves. And he's going to give it his all. He's going to play hurt. You know, he's going to play on one leg if he can. But a few of those passes that Watson sailed over to Hopkins, he just wasn't able to win that wrestling match the way he normally is. And, and maybe the passes shouldn't have been thrown because he's unable to do it. But you have no Will Fuller. You haven't yep. had him for a while. You had QT back, which was great. He had how many catches in the playoff game? He had 11. 11 and 11. He had 11 the first game. 22 against the Colts. 22 against the 22 Colts. 22 against the Colts. And, you know, the Colts are just trying to take Hopkins away the best right. they can. And they just – they're so young, and they, they'll be back. They'll be better. Right. But everything you said about the Colts, I agree. They're running out of gas thing. However you want to describe it, at some point it runs out for yeah. everybody. It ran out for the Rams yesterday in the Super Bowl. But the thing is, 
They the sad thing is it happened against the Colts in your own building, and it's the Colts. So to me, it just adds more fuel to my Colts Ugh. hatred and this. I'll call it a rivalry, but whatever it is, this series with the Colts in which they've just devastated you on the football field by and large, although the Texans 3-2 and two in their last five up there. Up there, yeah. Yeah, i got to say this. now. So the schedule's out, obviously, in terms of opponents, not dates, right? Now right. we know the Texans are going to London to play the Jaguars. That's cool. Uh, they've got some travel. They're going to go to L.A. to play the Chargers, all right? So they're going to go mm-hmm. London and West Coast. I just think that when I look at that schedule, and who knows how these teams really look by the time you face them. They're going to Kansas City. That's going to be tough. I, and going to face Drew Brees in the Superdome. Ouch. I just think somehow they split with the Colts at the very least. I just think so. I just think it's going to happen. This is a, a hotly contested affair with two really good quarterbacks. They're going to find a way to split with them and just see what happens with the other matchups. Unless know? Jacoby Brissett plays. <laughs> the Texans are yeah, then they're dead. The toast. Or, toast or if Dan Orlovsky comes plays. out of retirement, they're dead. Uh, and, you know, they just haven't, they haven't beaten Brissett yet. Uh, it's, I just find it interesting that the Texans have been winning up there and the Colts have been winning down here. I, I, don't, I don't know. If it's, it's strange. It's weird that way, but I just felt like you know, this, this will be an interesting offseason to see you know, how analysts look at this particular division. I mean, it was funny just talking to Chris. He was like, our division's good. It's really, really good. I was like, yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I mean, three teams with Underrated. nine wins or more. I'm glad I mean, he said that. Well, yeah. he works in 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 this building I mean, now, this, this AFC South fictional building I'm discussing. Yeah. How about this? The guys on the Triple Threat were talking about the Bill Barnwell article with over-under amounts for wins for yeah. next year, and the Texans were at nine, and, and they were talking about, well, it's a, a two games less than they won in 2018 and all this other stuff. Then I thought – well, let me see how he rates the other teams over under numbers. Colts eight and a half, Titans eight and a half, Jaguars six and a half. So I texted Shawnee. I said, "Oh, so you're saying Barnwell says the Texans are the AFC South favorites?" Mm-hmm. Which I found a little surprising based on what just happened in the postseason here against yep. the Colts. I think a lot of people are going to pick the Colts, but yeah, a so lot too. of it has to do with who you're going to get in free agency and who you're going to draft and yep. all of that other stuff and. Uh, is there somebody you're going to lose in free agency who might be really valuable to you? You yeah, don't know yet. Absolutely. <laughs> One other aspect of it is Indianapolis. This is where this is where Chris Bowder is the GM and having $100 million of cap room may not ultimately help them because the best thing that Ballard did last year was he went and found Danico Autry and went and got Pierre Desir again and Eric Ebron. Ebron was on a trash heap. Yeah. Ebron was on the trash heap. And he goes to the Pro Bowl. And goes to the Pro Bowl. I mean, Ebron was like that copy of, I don't know, the replacements that ends up, you know, somewhere in the Walmart bargain basement being for like two bucks. And you're like, I'll take that for two bucks. And then it turns into, you know, like, I don't know, the best football movie you've ever seen. That was the Ebron last year. So. Well, uh, maybe Ballard should pull a Sashi because you said the best thing he did was find those guys. The best thing he did was draft yeah. because Quentin Nelson draft was and Darius Leonard both go, not Pro Bowl, all pro. All pro. All pro. All pro. And then, and then the other Braden guy. Smith is starting at right tackle, which I thought was funny because I brought that up with him, and he was <sighs> like, we were, kind of, we were watching some guys in the offensive line trying to figure out guard or tackle, and we're like, what do you think, guard or tackle? No, no, he's a guard, and we'd say, oh, he's a guard. And then uh, Lance brought up Braden Smith from Auburn. He's like, yeah, well, he goes, that guy turned into a pretty good tackle for you. He goes, yeah. He goes, but I thought he was a guard too. So sometimes See, you get lucky yeah, with those sometimes things. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get look. They, they thought he was a guard. They move him out to tackle because they their guys at tackle were terrible. Texans think Rankin's a guard, right? Probably. I think so. Yeah, I think so. so. Martinez a guard. 
and we'll see how they handle the tackle situation in the draft and free agency. But I'm really looking forward to see what Brian Gain does in the first two rounds. When you have three picks in the yes. first two rounds and you had none last year, and the draft looked pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. The draft looked pretty darn good for the Texans without a first and second rounder. Now give me these picks on top of whatever else you get. And those players contributed. You know, nobody made all pro, but Justin Reed is on his way to being a really, really, really solid player. Pro Bowl caliber safety in this league. And then let's see how the tight ends develop. Let's see how Rankin develops. This is going to be good. Duke Edgefor will be used more. They started to use him more at the end of the mm-hmm. year. I, I like I like it when you have promising rookies going into year two and you have all that combine pre-draft yep. stuff, post-draft stuff out of the way. Now they can be pros in the offseason and get ready for their sophomore year. Yeah, no doubt. And I think we've talked about it. I think everybody knows that Texas is going to be looking at offensive line, probably tackles, and then at, at corners. And this is – this and going to the senior bowl, I could see some of those senior I saw some of those senior tackles and they're they're some pretty good players. It's a good depth position. I think corner's a pretty good depth position That's too. Good. That's good. So I think handy. they'll be able to find players at the bottom of the first round and the bottom of the second round. Because I think their their two second round picks are within a pick of each other, maybe. I think a pick or two in the second round. There's like one of fifty three, one of fifty five, something like that. So they're picking pretty close in that way, but Look, they've got three picks in the top 55, and they got four picks in the top 80-something. They're close because of the Seattle pick, and yeah. Seattle uh, did pretty well. You would prefer that oh, they did Seattle. horribly, so you get a high second-rounder. Johnny, quickly, uh, you got 60 seconds. Romo, you like the predictions on the big plays only, please. Right? Yeah, I mean, if it's a third-down play or, or it's a gotta-have-it play, and if you mm. have a good feel for the game, you know what's a gotta-have-it play. Yeah, yeah then, I'm, then I'm fine with it. I mean, look, if you're predicting a first and 10, I don't really put much stock in it, but I thought what, right. he, I thought what Romo did in the AFC Championship chip game i thought it was brilliant because he chose the right moments yeah third and ten yeah crucial drive right exactly those are fine but it's like hey it's the second six they're just gonna run the ball off the right like nobody i don't care but as an interested observer i don't i want to know a third and ten what are they thinking and tony's kind of in their helmet like telling you what's going on i like that i don't have a problem with that but predicting plays we've all been doing that for a long time all we've, right. all, we've all been doing it for a long time. He's just getting a lot of credit for it now because he was pretty successful, especially against in the Chiefs game. He is a good listen, and uh, it's you know it's an honor to have people complain about you on national yeah, television. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so, well, usually. Let's just put it that way. I can imagine some instances where it might not be. That's going to do it for show one of 2019. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Don't forget Texans Buzz, Saturday nights, 11 o'clock on ABC 13. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.